0: Welcome to Your Lot and Parcel Podcast with your host, Benjamin Diaz, designed strictly for you, the consumer. You will find that this platform has your best interests at heart.
1: Thank you for joining me today, this is Benjamin here. My guest today is definitely a pollinator conservationist and he speaks to how they sustain our ecosystems and produce our natural resources in helping plants reproduce. He helps us to appreciate pollinating animals that travel from plant to plant, carrying pollen on their bodies in a vital interaction that allows the transfer of genetic material critical to the reproductive system of most flowering plants. The vital plants that bring us countless, and I mean countless, of fruits, vegetables, and nuts, and much, much more. Let's welcome this one staunch advocate, Isaac Lyle. Yes, I I think it's fair to say that uh, pollination is an essential ecological a uh, survival function, and um, and I, and it's not hyperbole for me to say also that our future flies in the wings of pollinators. So I'm glad to have you on the show, Isaac, and uh, which I really appreciate your time and and, and your efforts. And uh, so, Isaac, tell us a little about your your personal motivation and uh, your organization and your mission.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, well, personally, um, I've always <clears throat> just loved nature. And biology and animals, the outdoors, all that type of thing. Um, Growing up, I I would spend, you know, entire days at the zoo or at the aquarium, just Mm. watching the animals, love backpacking, camping, hiking, all of that. Um, And so when it came time to go off to college, I I majored in conservation biology um, and then got my master's in environmental management here at the University of San Francisco. There you go. Um, Good. I, mm-hmm. I started off at, at P2 just as an intern when I was getting my master's degree
1: yes.
0: um, and was particularly drawn to its mission because pollinators are really foundational species for r- really supporting all ecosystems, our food supply, our well-being, oh, yeah. um, uh, a lot of things.
1: That's good. No, no, I know I can appreciate that. I. Uh, I uh, grew up on a farm and um, I can appreciate uh, where it is uh, integral to um, crops and and so forth. Uh, But um, what other uh, organizations are in partnership with your efforts, Isaac, if I may ask?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, And so our name is Pollinator Partnership. So partnership Mm -hmm. is really an important aspect of what we do. Um, Our mission as an organization is to promote the health of pollinators, critical to food and ecosystems through conservation, education, and outreach. Mm -hmm. Um, And really our first signature initiative that's that's listed under our mission on our website is the North American Pollinator Protection Campaign, which um, there's a conference for that every year in October, usually held in Washington, Mm D.C. And it's a tri-national partnership effort um, with over 170 different partners that oh, we yeah. also work on or work yeah. with for a lot of our different programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so some of those partners, a lot of them are probably some names that you would recognize. We have a lot of government partners, mm-hmm. um, including like the Smithsonian Institution, U.S. Fish, oh, Fish and Irish. Wildlife, the Forest yeah. Service, uh, the Park Service, um, lots of corporate partners, um, people like Waste Management or Burt's Bees, Blue Diamond Growers, and, mm. um, other nonprofits like the Wildlife Habitat Council or American Honey Producers Association, people like that, um, mm-hmm. universities, uh, a lot of the University of California system universities, also Ohio State University, Oregon State, really all across the country in Canada and Mexico as well.
1: Oh.
0: Um, and then other uh, private and foundation partners uh, mm-hmm. like uh, local entom- entomological societies, mm-hmm. um the National Gardening Association, people like that,
1: oh wow, well, you know <clears throat> having uh, said that, uh, that really underscores the importance of what you do and uh, and how concerned we should be, you know uh you know when, when when I speak about pollinators, you know what comes to mind is only the honeybee, but uh, however, there are many other species that do the same could could you expound on that and and tell us the process of pollination if you
0: would yeah, definitely um. So honeybees are for sure one of the most recognizable pollinators out there. Um, Usually the one that comes to everyone's mind. There are are worldwide at least 100,000 different species of pollinating animals. Um, Mm. Our organization is North America focused, um, but worldwide there are are over 100,000 species, including mammals like lemurs even, Mm. and some reptiles. Uh, Really, a a lot of what we have in North America is is, uh, insects and some birds and even bats. Mm -hmm. Um, So, lots of different kinds of animals, lots of different species, Um, and just a really simple way to think about pollination Mm -hmm. is that it's the transfer of pollen grains from the anther, which is like the male part of a flower, to the stigma, which is the female part of a flower. Mm um so that the egg can be fertilized and the seed can be produced Mm -hmm. um and so this can occur through uh, self-fertilization in some cases or by wind fertilization or or water pollination Um, but animal vectors is what we would refer to as pollinators which would Mm -hmm. be where an animal actually moves the pollen grain from Mm -hmm. one flower to another um Mm -hmm. and, and that that in itself is super important um over 75 percent of all flowering plants depend on animal pollinators for their survival
1: my goodness i know uh, of course there are some plants that pollinate themselves you know but for the most part uh, of course honeybees are 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 used uh, commercially i mean i mean uh, it's massive how they in fact i've known uh, or they'll transport honeybees from one side of the country to the next, you know, to get orchards and so forth uh, pollinated, you know. Um, <clears throat> as I'd indicate, I grew up in a farm, uh, Isaac, and, uh, you know, I, I, wasps, there was always wasps around, yellow jackets, you know. But I would imagine, of course, they don't, uh, they're not as, uh, because it's the fuzzy hair that transmits those pollen, that pollen grays in my gray. It's it's the, And I think uh, wasps, they don't have as much, so they're not too efficient.
0: uh, Right, yeah. So there are uh, definitely some pollinating species are more efficient than others. So wasps, while they are pollinators, aren't nearly as efficient as bees Um, or butterflies even. They're pollinators, they're not as efficient as some other species. Um, and, And oftentimes local native pollinators Mm-hmm. and to be more efficient um, than non-native, even managed pollinators, um, just because they have uh, sort of co-evolved with the plant species that they pollinate over a really long time and can specifically identify certain species um, and are most efficient at pollinating those certain species.
1: Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> I can appreciate that. I've been stung by a wasp. I mean, I tell you, it's not fun at all. <laughs> 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 not fun at all. I was probably seven or eight, just to tell you a little uh, quick, uh, without digressing too much, I got stung right between the eyes. I was probably eight years old. Right between the eyes and, uh, boy, I, I don't know if you call it an anaphylactic reaction or not. But I got so swollen, I, on the way home in the truck, I sat on the floorboard because I, I didn't look good. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, yeah, the, the things you come up with and you think about uh, those memories. Well, but
0: um, My ahead. first... My first experience—I I thought it was a fly. I was so little, and I tried to swat it, and stung me right in the <laughs> finger. <laughs> oh
1: boy, I think a lot of us have an experience to tell about that. There's a story, but you know, when we, when we, in terms of a, a human society that we are here, how how much are we dependent on pollinators, Isaac?
0: Yeah, well, we're very dependent, (laughs) Um, as you could as you could probably tell from the the statistic I threw out earlier about seventy five percent of all flowering plants depending Mm -hmm. on pollinators, uh, Mm -hmm. and and I really liked uh, also what you said earlier about our future flying with pollinators, and that's not an exaggeration. Um, We released a, a. We release a new poster every year highlighting uh, different pollinators, different themes surrounding pollinators. And last year, our poster's uh, title was actually Our Future Flies with Pollinators. Mm. And the whole idea behind it being uh, to highlight some pollinators, to highlight the plants they pollinate, um, but really to show all the different ecosystem services that we depend on as a society that rely on pollinators. Yeah. Um, So it's really, if you think about... (laughs) 75% of all flowering plants, all the ecosystem services that they support are are therefore supported by pollinators. And without those plants, we wouldn't have a lot of those ecosystem services. So it's different things like climate regulation, which is really important right now. Um, Out here in California, especially disturbance regulation can Mm -hmm. help with things like fire recovery, Um, Mm -hmm. water regulation. Uh, is also really important and things like waste treatment and water treatment. A lot of wetland plants in particular are great for that. Um, Erosion control, also something we deal with a lot in California here. Um, uh, Even just recreational or cultural significance. Mm -hmm. Um, Like think about going to Yosemite and there are no flowering plants. It it wouldn't be the same. Mm -hmm. Um, And we talk about uh, our food supply a lot as relying on pollinators, but mm-hmm. really also a lot of our raw materials rely on pollinators, our different textiles, uh, some of the woods that we we like to oh, use for our timber. Um, and, and then our food supply, of course, is, is the big one that a lot of people talk about. Um, one out of every three bites of food we eat comes from pollinators or from, mm. from plants that rely on pollinators in some way. Oh, and, and that is about 80% of the most commonly grown crops that rely on pollinators, mm. um, which is the majority of all high nutrition foods. Um, we have a, a pamphlet on our website that talks mm-hmm. about all ten of the top ten antioxidants rely mm-hmm. on pollinators. Mm-hmm. So, very important for our our health and our well being, and just mm-hmm. our environment as a whole. Well, absolutely,
1: I know the Native American uh, uh, really appreciated plants from a medicinal standpoint, you know, I can, I can appreciate that.
0: Yeah, definitely. And lots of, uh, lots of religions around the world <laughs> point well, to pollinators for a lot yeah. of their values. Um, oh, oh God, yeah, yeah, very important culturally.
1: Yeah. So, you know, next time we sit on, sit at the kitchen table, I mean, what's on that plate, it's either directly or indirectly uh, because of pollination. So something to think about, you know. We are visiting with a representative of Pollinator.org, and he's telling us how essential pollinators are to the ecosystem, and I, for one, unequivocally agree with him. Here he is again, Isaac Lyle. Um From a scientific uh, standpoint, what, what would you say the nemesis might be for or are for pollinators today?
0: Yeah, um, so it's potentially a complicated question. I think a lot of people... We really like to highlight um, maybe one or two particular issues that pollinators are facing and try to make those things the entire picture. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's not really the case. It's a combination of a lot of different factors. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like climate change, like I already mentioned briefly, um, Mm -hmm. habitat loss, Mm -hmm. uh, pesticide misuse. Those are, are maybe the three most common ones but a lot of people don't think about things like diseases that pollinators face naturally in some cases or parasites or invasive species mm. that they have to deal with. Yeah. So uh, our organization really tries to tackle all of these different issues in a holistic way, not just trying to focus on one and calling that the the end-all be-all uh, of pollinator issues.
1: Right, right. Well, that's interesting. Uh... So, um, yeah, that's why I I thought we would have an episode on pollinators because it is an important subject. The organization provides a free eco-regional planning guide. How how does that work?
0: Yeah, so (laughs) as part of trying to tackle all of these different issues that pollinators are facing, we actually have over 30 different programs across Mm. North America trying to to tackle all all of these different areas, uh, from habitat related issues to like uh, scientific research related issues. So a lot of what Mm -hmm. we do, uh, we do our own firsthand research and we fund grants for research. Um, We do a little bit of policy work um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of outreach and education. And and so there's some overlap between outreach and education and uh, our habitat work that we do. Um, and those ecoregional planting guides that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. We provide over (laughs) 60 at this point, uh, completely free ecoregional planting guides that we've produced uh, along with the US Forest Service and some other partners um, that are just available for free on our website. You can download it, you can print it off, you can even distribute it as long as you're not charging people. Mm -hmm. Um, And they currently cover the entire United States except for Alaska, we're still working on that. Um, and much of Southern Canada as well. Um, Mm. And it's really easy to find a planning guide that's appropriate for your region. Um, Mm -hmm. On our website, that's just pollinator.org. There's a resources dropdown and planting guides is the very first option. Um, And then once you're on that page, you can just enter your zip code. um, Or for Canadians, they do the first three digits of their postal code and click Mm -hmm. the search button and it'll bring up the guide that's right for your area. Mm. um and the guides are are pretty lengthy they're about 25 or so pages I think yes. um, giving some background information on the natural area that you live in mm. um, on the types of things that pollinators need in a habitat mm. and then also of course um, a list of some native plant species that will potentially work for you mm. um and the guides are really meant to be a good starting point to help people <laughs> get an idea of the, the types of plants that are native to their area, the growing conditions those plants might require, the types of pollinators they might attract. Um, and, and because some eco-regions are rather large, the guides are designed to be broadly applicable across the entire region. Okay. So you may have, for instance, some more specific native plants that'll work really well for you that aren't necessarily included in the guide um, because they're specific to your very like local area. Um, but the guides are designed to be a really good place to get started and to get an, an idea of the types of things you might want to include in your garden.
1: Yeah. I saw that. And it's, uh, I mean, it's comprehensive and I appreciated how you hook up the climates. Uh, you know, as you indicated, just uh, punch in your your zip code and, uh, you know, <clears throat> push come to shelf. I guess a guy can also go to the nursery.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's also, uh, yeah. we usually advise people, you know, the eco-regional guides could be a great place to start yeah. um, so maybe you can come up with a short list of what you're interested in and either go to or I guess you could call some local native nurseries uh, yeah. to see if they have what you're interested in or even just to ask them what grows best in our specific area mm-hmm. um, yeah definitely a great resource
1: absolutely uh Um, what would be your definition of an invasive plant?
0: Yeah, so uh, I I think the U.S. Forest Service actually has a really great definition here. And and they basically say um, invasive plants are are usually plants that are not native to the ecosystem they're in. So Mm -hmm. even if they're native, say, to Northern California, they may not be native to Southern California, Um, things like that. And they're likely to cause environmental or even like economic or human health harm. Uh, They tend to take over an ecosystem, out-compete the other native plants in the area for resources um, and that can really cause some problems. Um, So we definitely recognize that, uh, which is one of the reasons that we really encourage people to plant native plants. Um, Mm -hmm. And in any of our consulting work or, or other projects, we usually only recommend native plants um, that are specifically native to that area where they're going to be replanted um, to kind of try to avoid that issue. <laughs> there
1: you go. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I can see that. You know, where uh, an invasive plant is introduced, and I mean, it just destroys the biodiversity that belongs in that area. And um, I, I can see that. Uh, so no, that's uh, that's you share some good points there. Um, tell us about the, uh, the volunteer programs you have on your website. Uh, you have one there for uh, seed collection uh, training as well there. What can you tell us on that?
0: Yeah, so uh, for some of our programs, volunteers are really important. Mm. Um, one of our programs that comes up, uh, there are actually two periods for this every year, usually late spring and early fall is the Mitathon. And mm. that's particularly geared toward beekeepers. Uh, across all of North America, and it's a citizen science initiative, um, where we're we're trying to provide a little bit of resources and education on monitoring uh, your beehives for varroa mites, which is maybe the largest issue that honeybees are facing in particular. Sure. And then they can upload some data, um, and, and we get kind of an interesting picture nationwide of what's going on with a varroa mite. Uh, so some different uh, citizen science apps that we have kind of like that. Um, the program that I think you're specifically referencing mm-hmm. it is part of our Monarch Wings Across America program, mm. which is, if uh, you can't tell by the name, it's it's focused on the monarch butterfly and, and trying to, to protect that pollinator specifically and also some pollinators that share habitats. Um, so in the Midwest, uh, the rusty patch bumblebee which was listed as endangered a couple of years ago is also a focus of the program. Um, And and so seed collection volunteers in particular, um, we have a couple hundred right now, I think Mm -hmm. uh, in the Midwestern States that this program covers. Um, And they're all trained in plant identification and in proper seed collection techniques. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're certified that they've been trained and that, We have a waiver and all that, of course. Um, And then they're assigned to different collection teams and they go out with their collection teams and they visit established habitat sites um, to collect from target plant species that are particularly going to be good for monarch butterfly and rusty patch bumblebee and and of course other pollinators as well. And then uh, they collect those seeds. They even clean the seeds a bit, I think. Mm. And then they send those seeds off to Mason State Nursery In Illinois, uh, for Mason State University, uh, where those seeds are further cleaned and some of those are grown out into plug plants Mm. and then they're actually redistributed back to those local areas where they initially came from to further enhance habitat. Um, So, uh, as of a year or two ago, when we finished one phase of this program, we had enhanced about 30,000 acres of Mm. habitat in the Midwest. How about that?
1: Wow. That's a good propagating program you got uh, going there, uh, Isaac. I can appreciate that. <clears throat> how can um, how, how may, my audience reach out to the organization and be able to contribute either by volunteering or, or donation, Isaac?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so our website is pollinator.org. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also just Google Pollinator Partnership and, and it mm-hmm. should come up pretty easily. And you can really find Lots of different resources on there, (laughs) pretty much whatever you need. Uh, And there's a nice search bar right at the top for if you have a topic that you're interested in, but maybe don't want to or can't figure out how to navigate there, you can always search it. Um, We also, you can always call our office. I often will answer the phones myself. And Mm -hmm. our number is 415-362-1137. And we also encourage people uh, to send us an email to info at and we can help you get plugged into whatever you're interested in. Um, but then also on the website is where you can find all the information about being involved in our different programs. If you wanna be a seed collection volunteer in the Midwest, you can find that on our website. Um, if you want to be a member of our Bee Friendly Farming Program, which also just certified uh, about 65,000 acres this past year as Bee Friendly Agriculture. Um, you can find that on our website. Um, you can also donate online um, or you can send us a check to our San Francisco office. Um, but all that information is, is probably easier to find and read on the website than to hear me say now over this podcast and try to frantically write down.
1: No, no, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's on there. It's, it's like I said, it's comprehensive and uh, you have some uh, a lot of good stuff on there. I enjoyed it. I really did. And uh, I want to thank you for being on our show today, Isaac. But by, by the way, before I let you go, I want to mention that I, I, I like your first name. I, I, I might have mentioned that uh, we, when we initially uh, spoke. Uh, you know, I, let me tell you this, just briefly, when I was in middle school, I heard that name. And I said, you know, when I grow up and have a son, I'm going to call him Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> and so happens. The, uh, the executive producer of the show is Isaac. He's my
0: son. So, here you go. Nice. Yep. It's a great name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> well, listen, again, thank you for being on board with us, uh, and uh, and I wish you well in all your efforts, Isaac. All right?
0: Yeah, thanks. You, too. Have a great rest of your all right. day.
1: You, too. All right. For you listeners, if you have a suggestion or a recommendation of a subject matter you want to discuss, please let me know at yourlotandparcel.com. And now if you would excuse me.
0: This program has been produced by Isaac Diaz with music by Echo Foxtone. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are opinions only and should not be relied on. For more information, please visit the website yourlotandparcel.com.